Welcome to another episode of the Victory Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Victory Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry and the impact it has had in our community for over 50 years, visit VictoryBaptistValdosta.com. Now let's listen to today's message from God's Word. I'll not read this entire chapter, but I want to spot read it and give you something tonight that's big in my heart. And if I can just get it out like the Lord's got it in, it'll be a miracle. But if I stop and run, bring me some oxygen. I'll be back in a minute. John chapter number 11 and verse number 19. And many of the Jews came to Martha and to Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she has heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I want you to notice tonight in verse 22 how quick, how fast her faith was restored. But I know, say this with me, I love it, that even now, aren't you glad God's alive now? Aren't you glad he's able now? Aren't you glad he's on the throne now? I'm glad he's a now God. But I know that even now, whatsoever that will ask of God, God will give it thee. Aren't you glad tonight that God met the need of this little lady by the name of Martha? Come down tonight to verse number 32. There's somebody else in this little village that needs a touch from God, and it's her sister by the name of Mary, and I want you to see how the Lord deals with her. Verse 32, then Mary was come to where Jesus was and saw him, fell down at his feet. Aren't you like that tonight? Saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, watch your Bible, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. You know what Jesus did? He entered into her suffering. And I'm glad tonight that we do have a great high priest which can and is touched with the feelings of our infirmity. So he not only met the need of Martha, but he met the need of Mary. Come down to verse number 43. There's somebody else in this little village that needs a miracle, that needs a touch from God. And that's their brother by the name of of Lazarus. Notice how the Lord deals with him in verse 43. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And I love verse number 44. And he that, let me emphasize, was dead. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with the napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, 
loose him and let him go. I'm glad God met the need of Martha. God met the need of Mary. God met the need of Lazarus. And by the way, tonight, when Jesus sets the table, all are included and none are excluded. But come down to verse number 45. There's another crowd in this little village that needs a miracle. In fact, what they need is greater than what Lazarus and Mary and Martha needed. And the miracle that Jesus did for them was greater than the miracle he did for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Look in verse number 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, say this out loud with me, believed on him. That's the greatest of all the miracles that those unbelieving Jews were saved and became believers because when Jesus sets the table, when Jesus meets the needs, all needs are met and all hearts are satisfied. And from this text, I want to preach for a while tonight on the three resurrections of John 11. The three resurrections of John 11. I love the way that Jesus is presented in the gospel of John. And by the time you get to the end of the book, this is what you know. There are no boundaries, borders, or limits to what he can do. Just when you think he has maxed out his power, just when you think he's done the miracle of all miracles, shazam. He will do exceeding and abundant and above all that you ask or think. You remember back in chapter two when he performed that first miracle where he turned the water into wine. The Holy Spirit inserts this little phrase, and this was the beginning of miracles. And this was the beginning of miracles. It's as though the Holy Spirit is saying, you ain't seen nothing yet because it gets greater and greater and greater. Well, when you come to John 11, I think they feel like they've got him. Surely this miracle man has reached the maximum of his power because it's one thing to turn water into wine. It's one thing to heal a blind man. It's one thing to speak healing in one city and it takes place in another city. It's one thing to take the five loaves and the two small fishes and feed the multitude. As I preached last night, it's one thing to calm the storm and walk on the water. But the need in this text and the man in this text has a great and a mighty need. Surely this man, this miracle man Jesus has reached the limit of his power because the man in this text is not blind. He is not leprous. He is not hungry. He is not thirsty. He's dead. According to the text, the Bible says that he is four days dead. According to the text, he is so dead that they have wound him up 
embalmed him externally like a mummy and placed him in a tomb. In fact, in the words of his sister, and only a big, nosy sister would say this about her brother. He's stinking dead. He's not just dead, but he is stinking dead. And what in the world can Jesus do with a man that's four days dead, in a tomb dead, and stinking dead? Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. He not only walks on the water, he not only calms the storm, he not only feeds the 5,000, he not only speaks healing in one city and it happens in another city, but he even raises the dead because there are no boundaries and borders or limits to what he can do. For Jesus emphatically says in the text, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I believe tonight this text proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is nothing too hard for God. I believe this text proves tonight without even a debate that there is nothing that God cannot do. There are no boundaries and borders or limits to his power because where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. And he is the God that excels in the now. And he is the God that operates in the realm of exceeding abundant above all that we ask or think. Let's see it tonight unfold in these three resurrections. Resurrection number one, the most obvious one in the text. The resurrection of life for the dead. Jesus goes to that cave that's holding the dead body of Lazarus. And the Bible said they roll the stone away and Jesus cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, Come forth. You know what the word Lazarus means in the Arabic? It means the Lord is my helper. Did you know there are two men named Lazarus in the New Testament? And both of these are introduced to us under the shroud of death. There is Lazarus the beggar that laid at the gate of the rich man. That when he died, he was carried to the bosom of Abraham by the angels of God. Here the Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary that has been in the clutches and the domain of death for four days. But when the Lord is your helper, even death ain't no big deal. And Jesus stands at the cave and he cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. I asked my dad one time, I said, why do you think he specifically called him by name? Dad said, boy, if Jesus would have just said, come forth, every dead person in the world would have walked out on resurrection ground. And he said, one day, that's going to happen. He said, but think about it like this. He shouted at the grave of Lazarus, and one man got up. He shouted at bloody Calvary and many of them got up. 
Oh, but when he shouts the next time, not one is going to get up. Not many is going to get up. But every child of God that pillared their dying head on the finished work of the cross of Calvary is a coming out of that ground. Oh, can I just quote you some scripture? But I will not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even to them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be called together them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe the next thing on God's prophetic time clock is the splitting of the eastern sky and the sounding of the trumpet and the captain of our salvation steps out on the portals of glory and calls his people out of this world. And I'm here to tell you the graves are gonna give up their dead. Jesus said, because I live, ye too shall live also. I'm glad the Bible said we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I'm glad there is life on the other side. We will see our loved ones again. And thank God this is just a prelude of that great resurrection when Jesus comes. And when he does, ain't no grave gonna hold our bodies down. I'm glad we're coming out of there. That is our blessed hope. One of my best friends in town is... Not only my neighbor, he's not only a member of our church, but he's the, the local undertaker. And I'll tell everybody, he's the last man in our church to let you down. He called me one day and said, come by the funeral home, let's go to lunch. I went by to get him, he said, let's go back to the selection room. Now, I don't like to go back there to that selection room. You say, well, there's nothing back there but just empty caskets. I know that. I know that, but every one of them stick their tongue out at me and tells me I'm going to be next. And boy, we went back there the other day. He said, man, you got to see this one. This is a new Batesville. This is a brand new Batesville. It's guaranteed not to leak for 50 years. I said, Horace, who's going to know the difference? I don't think nobody's gonna dig it up and see if it leaked or not. He said, I'm telling you, Brother Joe, when I put your carcass in that thing and I reach in my pocket and I get that key and I crank her down and them seals come together for 50 years, no water, no moisture, no noise, no sound is gonna permeate that seal. I said, Horace Flynn Ford, let me tell you something. You may put my carcass in one of them things. You may get that little 
pull a key out of your pocket. You may crank them seals down. You may dig a hole 100 feet in the ground, put 59 feet of concrete on top of me, and you may think that thing keeps out all the noise, but when Jesus comes and the trumpet sounds and he calls my name, I will hear that sound. I will hear that call, and I'm coming up out of there. Aren't you glad we have a hope that's beyond this life and a hope beyond this world and a hope beyond the veils of tears. I'm glad the dead shall live again. I'm glad the cross made the difference and he swept out the cemetery. We serve a living Savior and we have a living hope. Thank God for the coming of the Lord. And it's the resurrection of life for the dead. But oh, I want to give you the second resurrection in this text. You say, oh, Brother Joe, I didn't know there was another resurrection. Oh, yes, there is. Let me say it like this tonight. There's more than a dead body in Bethany. There's more than a dead brother enshrined in a tomb. There are two weeping, broken-hearted sisters by the name of Martha and Mary. By the way, tonight, do you know who Martha and Mary are? Let me tell you who they are not. They are not strangers to Jesus. They are not enemies to Jesus. They are not odds with odds at Jesus. They are friends of Jesus. They are servants of Jesus. They are followers of Jesus. They have opened their home to him. They have, he has ate at their table. He has slept in their bed. I mean, they were friends. They loved Jesus. All of that little Bethany village knew they loved Jesus and they knew that Jesus loved them. And they have a brother. That means the world to them. And this brother is sick. He is on his deathbed and he is dying and they do the only thing they know to do. They get somebody to go to a village four days away where Jesus is ministering and loving, and they ask him to come. They send him a message. Lazarus is sick. He's going to die, and we need you to come, and we need you now. But if you know the story, Jesus did not come that first day. If you know the story, Jesus did not come the second day. If you know the story, Jesus did not come the third day. Man, let me tell you, I can only imagine if the devil back then was like he is tonight, can you imagine the stuff that he put in the mind and in the heart of Martha and Mary? You say, well, what makes you think the devil monkeyed with their heart and in their mind? Well, let me answer your question with a question. What would cause these two sisters, now, not strangers to Jesus, but friends of Jesus, not backslid on Jesus, but followers of Jesus, what would cause these two sisters, and by the way, not behind his back, not through a third party, but to look into the face of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the counselor, the eternal God of the ages, and blame him and accuse him for their brother being dead. 
You say they didn't do that. That's exactly what they did in this text. Both of these sisters have the audacity to look into the face of perfection and say, if you, I see the accusation, if you, if you, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Lord, if you would have come when we asked you. Lord, if you'd have been where you're supposed to be. Lord, it's your fault. You let this happen to us. You say, preacher, how terrible, how terrible for two followers of Jesus to have the thought, much less the audacity to say it to his face. Well, before you criticize them, wait to that trouble truck. Wait to the disappointment truck. Wait to the hurt truck pulls up into your driveway and throws it in park and mashes down the parking brake and trouble stays and disappointment stays and heartache stays because it is our natural tendency for our faith to give away into fear. And these little girls are thinking, he let us down. He let us down. We asked him to come, and he didn't come. I imagine that old devil has crawled on their shoulders. He is whispering his diabolical voice of lying in their ear. You were there for Jesus, but he was not there for you. You served Jesus, but he doesn't care about you. You say, Brother Joe, why do you believe with all of your heart? The devil talks like that to people. I've heard them same words a time or to myself, but I've come to tell somebody that the devil is browbeat and lied to all day long. He's not only a liar, but he's the father of all liars. And I want to say to Martha and to Mary, just because he's not here yet, Lord God, I feel like preaching right there, just because he's not here yet, that doesn't mean he is not coming. Help is on the way. He has heard your prayer. He has sympathized with your sorrow. Look out, baby doll. Help is on the way. I just want to tell you, when you can't feel God, when you can't hear God, when you can't sense God, you can't track God, standing somewhere in the shadows is a God that knows your sorrow. He's heard your cry. His work is in action. And may I just remind you, when God sets his sovereign plan into motion that he's coming to you, he will be there because nothing's powerful enough to stop the mighty hand of God. He will come. And so four days, late on their time clock, right on time in his time clock. Can I remind you tonight that God doesn't operate with your watch? God doesn't operate with our calendar. God doesn't operate with the almanac. God doesn't operate with the signs in the foot, signs in the head. God doesn't operate with a palm reader. You don't need a savior to read your palm. Baby, he already knows what's in your heart. And I want to say to Martha and Mary, hold on, girls. It ain't as bad as it seems. In four days, Jesus comes into town, and here's Martha. 
Now, I believe I can better illustrate it by asking you this. How many parents we have here tonight? But you're not just a parent. You're a parent of more than one. Now, there's a lot of things about Brother Joe you may not agree, but you got to agree to this. They're different. I have never understood how two knothead kids can have the same mama, have the same daddy, live in the same house, eat the same food, go to the same church, and be planets apart. You can have one smart as a tag, inherently intelligent, don't even have to study, solid on a roll. Well, yep, you can have another one, <laughs> dumber than a box of rocks. Quit looking around, quit looking around. Son, you can have one child. All you got to do is cross your eyes and clear your throat. And the fear of God immediately stops them. And son, you can have another one. You can yell and you can frail. And they'll send you over the edge. And brother, they might make you lose your mind. They are different. Martha and Mary live in the same home. They have the same brother but they're different. Man, when Martha heard that Jesus is coming, man, she runs out there to meet him and she just says what's on her heart. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Bam, she's over it. She has said her peace. She is over it. And just like that, her faith is restored. I know that even now it's not too late. I know that even now all you got to do is say it and God's going to... Boy, just one visit from the king restored her faith. There's somebody in this room tonight, the devil's lied to you for your whole life, but you're about to have a visit with the king of kings and lord of lords, and he's gonna remind you he's a right now God, and God can get the job done. That's Martha. But Mary, she's different. By the way, different people handle the same problem or the same grief in different manners. That's why you should never go up to somebody and say, ah, get over it. They would if they thought they could. And you kick it upside the head, tell them to get over it, ain't helping. People respond, they grieve in different ways. Like, for instance, I mean, how many of you love to go hunting? One lady raised her hand. God bless you, sister. You know, I, I miss a big buck, and I call my wife, I missed a big buck. That don't mean nothing to her. Well, just go again. I said, honey, it ain't like a sale at Walmart. It ain't like some stupid sale at Dillard's. Like, you know, they're going to have another sale, but Big Mac Daddy may not never walk by your stand again. You say, oh, Brother Joe, how do you shoot something as beautiful as a deer with a gun? You say, would you shoot Bambi, his mama, his daddy, his grandpa, and his sister? 
Well, Brother Arthur, I just don't believe we ought to do that to animals. Well, let me remind you, that Big Mac and that chicken fillet sandwich you engulfed today did not grow on a chicken tree or a cow plant. Can I get a witness in the church house? We respond. Mary. Listen to this, Brother Ward. Mary is so hurt. Mary is so upset. Mary is so disappointed. While Martha is out there being restored at the feet of Jesus, she's sitting still in the house. Let me ask you this tonight. If Jesus Christ was gracious enough to go to your home and pay you a personal visit, don't you think you would have at least the decency to walk outside and thank him for coming to your house? But Mary is so distraught. She is so messed up. She is so tore up inside, she won't even go out there to where he is. And you hear me? There are some people that's they're not going to be at church Sunday. And they're not going to be at church Wednesday. And if they have their way about it, they'll never be at church again because they got hurt. They got disappointed. Somebody done them in. But listen to me. When you don't pray, when you don't read your Bible, when you don't go to church, you're not taking that frustration and anger out on the person that hurt you. You're taking it out on Jesus Christ, the only one who really loves you and the only one that can fix the situation and make it right. Oh, but as Paul Harvey says, page two, aren't you glad? Here's the rest of the story. When Mary gave up, when Mary gave up on Jesus, Jesus didn't give up on her. And when Mary wouldn't go to where Jesus was, glory to God, Jesus came to where Mary was. You know what he says to Martha? Jesus says to Martha, you go tell your sister, you go tell her, the master's come and he calleth for thee. You go tell her, the master's come and he calleth for thee. And the King James Bible is so expressive. It said she went into that house and called her sister secretly. If she'd have been an independent Baptist, she'd have slapped her upside the head and screamed at her. But she leaned over and whispered, the master's come and he called the master's come and he called for thee. And son, as soon as she heard, as soon as Mary heard that phrase, the master's come and he called Boy, I can see Martha say, Mary, listen to me, baby. He's here, honey. He's here. He's here. He's not asking about Thomas. He's not asking about John the beloved. He ain't even asking about Lazarus. He ain't even asking about me. But he's calling you by name. He's got you on his mind. Your, your name is coming from his lips. He wants you. He's calling you. Son, she couldn't take it no more. But she, when, when it dawned on her, he's a personal savior and a caring savior and an omnipotent savior. She couldn't take it, man. She runs out of that house. She falls at the feet of Jesus. She uncorks the bottle and lets the tears flow. And all of that fear, all of that frustration, all of that disappointment, that's got stagnated and stuffed in her soul for four days at the feet of Jesus. She coughs her up, son, and takes the bottle, starts pouring out her tears. 
The Lord said, glad there's a place where we can go and cough it up and get it out. Quit holding it in. Quit holding it in. Quit holding on to that unforgiving spirit. Keep holding on to that disappointed heart. Quit holding on to that frustration in your life. There's a place of quiet rest, not only near the heart of God, but there's a place of a complete victory at the feet of Jesus. And at his feet, she put the cork off the bottle. She prayed and she wept and she cried and she poured it all out. She's weeping at the feet of Jesus. And while she's weeping at his feet, she feels something. Hits the side of her face. It runs down her cheeks. It puddles up on her hands. And when she looks up, Lord, have mercy. Not only is she a crying, but now the Lord is going to cry. Not only is she weeping, but the Lord has done gone to weeping. You know what happens in John 11? Her tears got to mingling with his tears. And his tears got to mingling with her tears. And I just want to tell somebody tonight, when your tears mingle with the master's tears, Lazarus is about to take a stroll. I'm telling you, when Lazarus walked out of that grave, more than a dead body walked out of that grave, hope lives again, courage lives again, faith lives again. It's the resurrection of hope and courage for the distress. There may be somebody in this room tonight, something in you has died. Your marriage has died. Your joy has died. Your happy has died. Your peace with God. Your desire to read the Bible. Your desire to shout. Your desire to worship. You feel so hurt and exhausted that you feel like you're just dead inside. Well, I've come to tell you, headed to 666 Weeping Street, Bethany Village, is the resurrection and the life. He makes dead things live again. Your hope can live again. Your courage can live again. Your faith can live again. It ain't over. God is still on the throne. Resurrection number one, the resurrection of life for the dead. Resurrection number two, the resurrection of hope and courage for the distressed. But I'll close with this one, verse 45. Resurrection number three. There's a third resurrection. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, the resurrection number three is the most important one. In fact, the need that Jesus is about to meet is greater than the need of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus put together. You say, who is it? It's those lost, unconverted, unbelieving Jews that do not know Christ as their personal Savior. They have a need that's greater. You say, Brother Joe, what could be greater than a man needing to be raised from the dead? What could be greater than two sisters having their hope and courage restored? What could be greater? What could be a greater need than that? hell-bound sinners being born again and saved by the grace of God and trust in Christ as their Savior. 
This is a Baptist meeting. We've been here two nights and ain't voted on nothing. We gotta make it real Baptist. We gotta vote on something. Let's vote on it right here. If you save, raise your right hand. If you know it, raise your left hand. If you're glad about it, cross them real quick. Well, let me ask you this. How many believes that God forgiven you of your past? Forgiving every stinking filthy sin you ever did or thought about doing. How many thinks that God keeping you out of hell and taking you to heaven is a real big deal? Well, brother, after God lifting you up out of the degradation of sin, keeping you out of hell, take you to heaven when you die, anything outside of that is small potatoes. If God can save an old sinner and keep him from going to hell and take him to heaven when he leaves this world, that's the greatest of all miracles. My friend Squire Parson put it like this. I wasn't there by the shores of the Galilee when Jesus touched the blinded eyes and made them see. And though I did not see the empty tomb that day, I still believe, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest of all miracles. It's not the parting of the Red Sea. It's not the creation of heaven and earth. It's not the sun standing still. It's not the water turning into wine. It's not even Lazarus coming back from, honey, the greatest of all miracles is when God reached further down and you could reach up and saved your soul and blotted out your sin and made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. And I call it the resurrection of faith and life for those that are depraved and lost in their sin. In closing tonight, I love the way verse 45 words it. And many, Boy, if you're a Calvinist, you may hyperventilate right there. I hope you do. I am not a part of the frozen and chosen. I'm a part of the whosoever will that got in on God's salvation plan. I said it and I ain't taking it back. My name is Joe Arthur and I approve that message. Say amen right there. Oh, many, many. Watch verse 45. And many of the Jews which came with Mary had seen the things Jesus did. Believed on him. You know what God literally did in this text? He took their misery and gave them a ministry. You know what God literally did in this text? He took their tears, he took their trial, and he took their thorns and made them a testimony. I'm sorry Lazarus died. I'm sorry he got sick. I'm sorry Mary and Martha's faith gave way to doubt and fear. But in the end, God got so much glory and a bunch of lost people God saved. And if God can take our little old misery and give us a ministry, it's worth every mile of the trip. We went in our new building in 2006 and we wasn't in it very long, about maybe a month or so that one of the young men in our church, 35 years old, a young fireman in our county got choked on a sandwich and one thing led to another and 
a year and three or four months, we buried him with esophagus cancer. I've pastored those people now almost 39 years of my life. He said, what are you doing? I'm trying to catch up with Brother Ward. But the only problem is when I catch up with you, you're going to be up here about 50. Say amen right there. And I hope me and you live to be 300 and they get to come to the funeral. Say amen right there. I hope we live to get to be, I hope we get to live to be 300 just to aggravate some of the people that's aggravated us all these years. For the last 30 plus years, I've preached nearly every week of my life and I hear this, Brother Joe, why don't you just resign that church? Be in a van, just resign. Just get rid of that pressure. Just get rid of that church. Go on out there and pray. You know, there's two reasons why I've never done that. Number one, Holy Spirit never told me to do it. And number two, I loved them people. They done crawled up in here. What am I supposed to do, rip my heart out too? I preach on the road all the time, but let me tell you, I got a pastor's heart. I'm not an evangelist. I got a pastor's heart. And I love those people. When they cry, I cry. When they hurt, I hurt. When their kids messed up, I'm just telling you, man, I love those people. And one of the hardest things I've ever done in 39 years was the day they called me and told me that Jim was going to probably pass away in the next hour or two. Brother Tom, some of you know Brother Tom Allen. He's been here on several occasions. And Brother Tom and I rode over to the house and that little weeping mother, wife, 32 years old, said, Brother Joe, help me. The hardest thing I've ever done, I picked up that little five-year-old girl and picked up that little one-year-old girl and I laid them in that bed and they crawled on their daddy's chest one last time. Patted him on the cheeks, kissed him on his earlobes and told him they loved him and told him bye. Greg, you ought to heard that little Abigail pray that day. She said she was five. She said, Jesus, this is Abby. And my daddy's gonna come see you here in a little bit. You take care of him to me and mama and sister. See him on the other side. Tore my nerves up. I had to get out of there. I said, Tom, I got to go. And I walked out the drive, down the driveway and I heard somebody sobbing behind me. And I turned and it was that young man's wife, Mandy. And i never seen such a horrific look on somebody's face. And she said, pray, man of God, pray. I said, I said Mandy, I'm praying for Jim. I'm praying for him. She said, oh, don't pray for him. He's fine. And I thought, Lord, man, she's in denial now. I said, Mandy, he's not fine. The doctor said a couple of, no, 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 he's fine. He's getting ready to be healed permanently. Uh, by the way, just let me throw this in. If you're looking for a place to run, when you get to heaven, cancer is never in remission. It's gone. She said, don't pray for Jim. Pray for me. Please pray for me. And I said, pray for you? She said, yes. She said, Pastor, I've been in church my whole life. And she said, I've seen church people say and do some very wicked, horrible things under this kind of pressure. And she said, I've got lost loved ones in my neighborhood and i got lost loved ones in my family. I want you to pray that I won't fail God. <laughs> she said, I want you to pray that I won't do or say anything to cause somebody to go to hell. 
She said, I want you to pray that I won't say or do anything to make people that are lost think that Jesus is not real and I'm a fake. Pray I won't fail God. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I said to her, baby girl, I believe everything's going to be okay with you. I don't believe you're going to fail God because God's not going to fail you. And here we are almost 17 years later. Never missed a Sunday morning, never missed a Sunday night, never missed a Wednesday night unless her and her family is off singing and trying to be a blessing to somebody else. How little choir sings that Calafay Rowland song, Safe Thus Far. She leads out on the verse and the other Sunday. You ought to see them city people go to church. Most of the time our church is real quiet like Presbyterian, but that day, son, it was full gas Pentecostal. We were throwing flyer pots and riding piggyback, son. It was on. Son, she walked out on that platform and began to sing, I've sailed through many waters rough and deep, but someone has sailed along with me. And our congregation knew where that little girl been, and she's raised them little girls. And I just married one of them the other day to a fine young man in our church, and the other one was at camp not long ago. And I, she's getting ready to be a senior in high. I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if we'll trust the Lord and lean upon God and find a place at his feet, he's a God that makes death things live again. There's no boundaries, borders, or limits to what he can do. And he can take your misery and give your ministry. I'm done. But the difference last night and the difference tonight, the difference last night between the disciples sinking in that storm is when they said they took him into the ship. And the difference between Martha and Mary having victory and a resurrection that they needed, they found a place at the feet of Jesus and told him all about it. I couldn't sing real good before my voice surgery. Now I can't sing at all. Boy, if I could, I wished I could. I'd love to sing a little bit right here. Whew. Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. Oh, man, tell it to Jesus. Let's stand together all over the building. Our Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Word of God. And Father, there's people in this room tonight that needs faith to live again courage and hope and trust live again you're the God that makes dead things live again give somebody a ministry before they leave here tonight we'll give you maximum praise and glory for thou art worthy O Lord to receive power and glory and honor in Jesus name our brother's going to sing, Pastor, service is yours. God bless you, my